Hi, I'm Pastor Corey, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that path. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. This morning's scripture comes from the book of Psalm, chapter 28, sorry, 88, um, and I will be reading um, the full chapter. And in your pew, bullet, or your pew Bibles, that's Old Testament 5.15. Hear now the word. O Lord, God of my salvation, at night when I cry out before you, let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles. My life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like those who have no help, like those forsaken among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they, cut off, for, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a thing of horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim with sorrow. Every day I call on you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the shades rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abdon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your saving help in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry out to you in the morning and my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast me off? Why do you hide your face from me? Wretched and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am desperate. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dread assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. From all sides, they close in on me. You have caused friend and neighbor to shun me. My companions are in darkness. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Orange. My name is Sarah Miller. I'm the associate pastor of youth here, and I'm grateful to be with you this morning. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. How many hats do you think you wear in a day? Two? Five? They seem to add up pretty quickly, don't they? We're spouses, partners, parents, siblings, children, friends, We're employers, bosses, employees, and interns. We're committee chairs, board presidents, team members, and colleagues. We're coaches, teachers, mentors, and students. And with each of the hats that we wear or roles that we play come expectations. We have job descriptions, deadlines, calls to jump on. We have kids to feed and laundry and dishes and dance practice and gymnastics and soccer that are in three different directions and every kid has to be there at the exact same time. 
We have parents and grandkids to care for, doctor's appointments, second jobs and side hustles. We have marriages and relationships to foster beyond conversations around what we ate for lunch. It's a lot. Even the very best and good things can add up all on top of each other to just be a lot. But it's difficult to admit that, right? It's difficult to be honest that our everyday tasks in life can feel like too much. That they can weigh on us. I don't know about you, but I haven't been the same since we came out of quarantine or lockdown or whatever we want to call it in the pandemic. As someone who's chronically ill and immunocompromised, that meant I had to be more careful than most. And complicating that was that my partner and I at the time lived in a basement apartment in the city of Chicago. I loved our little apartment, but I had to stand on my couch to peer out the window. We did our best. We tried to make the best of it. We would take walks in the alleyways and try to point out the funny, strange sights, trying to ignore the smell of the dumpsters. This period of my life, of history, affected me probably more than I will ever know. And even still coming out of this period of time was probably even harder. When I started going back to work and to grad school, I suddenly found myself exhausted at just ordinary tasks, even roles I had played for a long time. I had less capacity for social interaction, less tolerance for noise and simulation, and a shorter amount of time that I could focus on work and homework tasks. And yet I had to do these things. There were expectations of me to bounce back and to do so joyfully. I mean, who wouldn't be joyful that they're no longer locked in their basement apartment? There were hats for me to wear and life to go on. And still, every day felt like trudging through jello. Do you know that feeling? It continued to weigh on me, but I didn't say anything. I carried on with good and fine when people would ask me how I was doing, and I just pushed harder. But if I'm being honest, I wasn't okay. My mental health had tanked, and it wasn't coming back up. I was doing all the right things. I mean, I laugh because for part of this, I was finishing my grad degree in counseling. I was playing the role, but I wasn't being honest that I was drowning. I wasn't being honest with myself about where I was and what I needed. I just assumed that this collective trauma that we had all been through, that everyone spent at least an hour in the morning willing themselves to get out of bed or justifying why getting out of bed wasn't necessary. Or I'd tell myself that everyone else has been through this and they seem to be bouncing back just fine, so, so should I. I wasn't being honest with God either. I'm a pastor, a spiritual leader. I'm supposed to have it all together. At this point, I had spent nearly eight years studying scripture in university and seminary. God and I are supposed to be tight, thick as thieves, or whatever the holy equivalent of that is. <laughs> but I couldn't even begin to pray, to open my Bible, 
or to connect with God in any other way besides academics. And Lord knows that even if I had been honest with God and myself, I didn't know how to tell anyone else. It wasn't that I didn't have anyone to tell or that I didn't have the language. It was the fact that I was terrified. Terrified of what would happen if I was honest. Terrified that if I was truly honest, that I would look like a fraud. That I would be admitting to failure. That I'd have to say out loud that I wasn't capable. That I wasn't enough. And saying it out loud would make it even more real. I don't remember the exact moment when I admitted that I wasn't okay, although it wasn't that long ago. I was living life disassociated, running on empty, and something had to change. What I didn't know was that being honest, truly honest, meant I would be met with the grace I so desperately needed. There was no one there telling me I was a fraud. No one there telling me I was a failure. Instead, there was grace to show up where I was, how I was, without qualifications. Even though I still had roles to fill and stressors of life to contend with, I had help, and I finally felt seen. I wasn't better. Nothing had magically changed. But there was a sigh of relief, a place to catch my breath, to figure out what was next, and to release the shame I had accumulated over multiple years of hiding. The psalm we read this morning was written by someone who demonstrates raw honesty. This is the most somber psalm we have in scripture, one of great lament. The language is poetic, but frank. One of images of death, hell, drowning, abandonment. Their pain is relentless. The psalmist writes that those near and far have deserted them, treating them as if they were already dead. This psalm is anything but a polite, socially constructed greeting or answer to how are you. We get looks if we were in an elevator and somebody said, hey, how are you? And you unloaded with this psalm. <laughs> There's no praise, no thanksgiving, no buts or howevers, just honest grief. And I have to say that I am so grateful that laments like this exist in scripture and that this isn't an isolated incident. Jesus prayed to his father in the garden of Gethsemane, begging God to let the cup pass from him. Jesus hung from the cross, crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Job questions and curses the day he was born. He says, I won't keep quiet. I will speak in the adversity of my spirit, groan in the bitterness of my life. I would choose strangling and death instead of my bones. I reject life. I don't want to live long. 
Leave me alone, for my days are empty. Bartimaeus is blind and therefore cast out from his community. Jesus comes walking down the road and Bartimaeus cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Scripture tells us that many people scolded Bartimaeus and told him to be quiet, and yet he cried out louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Martha and Mary, both at two separate times, say to Jesus after Lazarus' death, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. If you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Scripture offers us many examples of honest cries from the children of God. Because sometimes we're still in the pit. Sometimes all we can see is darkness. Sometimes we're hungry and there's nothing around to satisfy. Sometimes we're cut off from community for things well beyond our control. Sometimes we find ourselves staring in the face of grief. Sometimes the storm is still raging and Jesus is still asleep. And that's okay. It's enough. That's enough. Our honest lament is enough. It doesn't make us any less faithful. God is the creator and sustainer of the universe. I think God can handle our questions and our doubts and our anger and our honesty. Our honesty is also doesn't eliminate the presence of hope. You see, our laments themselves are acts of hope. We wouldn't risk the vulnerability without the hope of being met with resurrection. Life after death. The power of Christ's resurrection is that it is offered to us, too, and not just for eternity. Our laments speak in the here and now spaces that are in desperate need of resurrection, and they do so whether we believe in the moment or not. Maybe this psalm is the invitation or permission we need to bring our honest selves before God and our community, to unlearn the thought patterns and habits that keep us silent, that have taught us to ignore or deny or to build higher walls. This honesty may sound like admitting that you're angry at someone or something, or maybe you just don't even know why. It may sound like confessing that the ways you're coping just aren't enough anymore. Maybe it's recognizing that you love your kids or your grandkids, your nieces and nephews, but you need a break. It could be acknowledging that you're exhausted and that your capacity just isn't what it used to be. Maybe that it's you're lonely, even in the most crowded room. Or maybe it's sharing that you need help in some area of your life. 
And sometimes our honesty isn't even words because we don't have them, but the groans and cries of our hearts that God understands. This honesty sets us free from the shame that tries to bury us alive and offers grace to live as resurrected people. I could wrap up this sermon in a big, red, shiny bow. I could say something nice that's probably even true. But that doesn't mean that's where we are right now. If I'm being honest, some days I still find myself back in those difficult places. My mental health waxes and wanes, maybe more than some. The process of healing isn't linear no matter how much I will it to be. And so I will keep crying out. And I will keep searching for God. And I will keep texting my friends the designated I need help emoji. And I will keep taking my medicine. And I will keep seeking therapy and professionals. And I will keep being honest. And that's enough. It's enough. Our honest selves and laments are enough before the God of resurrection. May it be so. Amen. Let us pray. God of the weary, receive our tiredness. God of the hungry, know our emptiness. God of those in danger or in perceived danger, hold our fear. God of the silenced, hear our despair. God of the heavy laden, give us rest. God of the hopeful, fill us again with longing. God, thank you for holding all of us. Thank you for inviting us into honesty with you and within our community. We are here. Thank you for allowing that to be enough. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.